Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Japanese samurai movies are a century-old tradition, and their tropes have been picked up in stories all over the world. George Lucas has said that one of his inspirations for the original Star Wars movie was a 1958 samurai film called The Hidden Fortress. Another classic samurai picture, 1961's Yojimbo, was loosely adapted into the Sergio Leone western A Fistful of Dollars. Pop culture frames samurai as near-mythic figures. We're told samurai belonged to an elite class of Japanese warriors who always fought fair, loyally defended their medieval lords, and hewed to a unifying honor code known as Bushido. Filmmakers sometimes pit them against dark-robed ninja assassins, a fearsome mercenary. The classic movie Ninja carries razor-sharp throwing stars and has mastered a martial art called ninjutsu. Many more modern tellings even give one or both of these characters supernatural powers, like flight or invisibility. But magical talents aside, just how accurate is our modern outlook on samurai and ninja? To find out, we interviewed three historians. Japanese history is broken down into eras and periods. Particularly relevant to our discussion here are the Sengoku period of 1467 to 1603 CE, and the successive Tokugawa period, or Edo period, that lasted until 1868. The latter Tokugawa period takes its name from a shogun family that assumed control of Japan in 1603. Shogun were hereditary military dictators who'd been running the country since 1192 CE. On paper, they served Japan's emperors, but in practice, these figures were far more powerful, and it was they who truly called the shots. Earlier centuries had been plagued by constant warfare, but things stayed calm under the Tokugawa regime. International trade was tightly regulated, and the shogun took pains to discourage political squabbles. This was also a time when Japan redefined its relationship with samurai. We spoke with Thomas Conlin, a professor of East Asian history at Princeton University, via email. He explained, the samurai became an identifiable social status only in the 1590s, Before then, all of society was militarized and there was no distinction between peasants and warriors. Such ambiguity didn't sit well with one game-changing warlord, General Toyotomi Hideyoshi. He issued a nationwide sword hunt edict in 1588 during the Sengoku period. This prohibited farmers from owning weapons of any sort. Under these new rules, only samurai, and samurai alone, could bear arms. We also spoke with historian Nick Kapoor of Rutgers University via email. He said, Basically, people who were known to have fought in battles recently were considered samurai and were forbidden to go back to farming, and people who were known to be currently farming land had to surrender their weapons. In a lot of cases, it was self-reported, and people basically got to choose. Toyotomi's reforms carried over into the Tokugawa period. In effect, they laid the groundwork for a rigid, hereditary, caste-like system that put samurai above artisans, merchants, and peasants. By then, the feudal wars that defined the Sengoku period had long passed. With no battles to wage, the samurai were given bureaucratic and administrative roles. Hindsight sometimes has a way of glamorizing warfare. We also spoke via email with Sarah Thal, a historian of early modern and modern Japan who teaches at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She said, During the long peace of the Tokugawa era, when samurai came to work more as administrators than as fighters, 
Many romanticized the earlier times of war in the 12th to 16th centuries, for instance, when samurai actually fought. The last shogun was overthrown in 1868, ending the Tokugawa period. Afterward, Japan entered its reformative Meiji period, which embraced industry and centralized governance. Historically, the samurai had served feudal lords and enjoyed special privileges, but all that soon changed. Tall explained, the official status of samurai was abolished in 1869 and their privileges revoked in the early 1870s. With the abolition of their lord's domains, many former samurai were out of work, unable to get jobs in the new government. In the 1890s, they, their children, and many Japanese began trying to define a way of the samurai that operated both as a nostalgia for the supposedly moral good old days and as a critique of the modernizing trends of the time. Enter Nitobe Idazo, a diplomat and author. He radically transformed the way future generations would look at samurai. In 1899, Nitobe published an influential book called Bushido, The Soul of Japan. The text presents itself as an introduction to Bushido. According to Nitobe, this was the traditional universal code of conduct observed by real-world samurai. Except it wasn't. Kapoor noted, the so-called samurai code of Bushido did not exist in the Sengoku heyday of samurai warfare. Indeed, the word Bushido itself wasn't coined until the peaceful Tokugawa period. But it is from Bushido, the soul of Japan, that we get some of the most pervasive myths about samurai values and behavior. Tal said, Samurai were not all the moral, noble, well-to-do, spiritual swordsmen depicted in film. They did not have a single coherent moral code that defined how they thought and acted. And Kapoor said, Just like warriors anywhere else, Samurai raped and looted and pillaged and were constantly betraying their lords. Speaking of misconceptions, it's time to talk ninja. Supposedly, they were swords who performed covert operations, gathered intelligence, and assassinated people in the cover of darkness. Iga and Koka, two neighboring regions in southeastern Japan, are usually cited as the training grounds where ninja honed their deadly skills. Sometimes you'll even hear that ninja formed a hereditary class or caste, not unlike the samurai. The lore is pervasive in pop culture. Every year, some enthusiasts even dress up to celebrate Ninja Day on February 22nd. Not to rain on anyone's parade, but these storied mercenaries are kind of fabricated. Kapoor said, Ninja as we know them today did not actually exist. He explained that the word ninja comes from two Chinese characters meaning stealth and man, which is pronounced shinobi, by the way, by most Japanese-language speakers. Medieval Japan had its share of folks who snuck into castles and embraced undercover warfare. Historical records show samurai weren't above such tactics. Kapoor said, We have a lot of documents about these activities, but they were carried out by a variety of people. There was never any specialized class of assassins living in hereditary clans and selling their services for hire. This is pure myth, which, like the myths about the samurai, was created during the long and peaceful Edo period. Despite this, ninja fables are nothing new. Tal said, even by the 18th and 19th centuries, ninja had become a pop culture phenomenon in Japan. So there were all sorts of fantastic fictional depictions in art, literature, drama, and the like. Today's episode was written by Mark Mancini and produced by Tyler Klang. 
For more on this and lots of other mythical topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We'll be right back. 